This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, May 20th, 2022, and I'm Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Today, we are taking a close look at one federal agency's return to work plans. For the last two years, many Department of Justice components have been working in a maximum telework posture, like most of our federal government. But now, the agency must adapt to a new normal, where private sector law firms have embraced telework and other workplace flexibilities. I have a panel of guests representing Department of Justice workforce groups here to discuss the actions the department has taken and how employees are responding. To kick off our show, let's start by introducing our guests. Joining me from the Department of Justice Gender Equality Network, or DOJ Gen, I have President Stacey Young and Vice President Melanie Krebs-Pilotti. Melanie and Stacy are co-founders of the organization and are both currently attorneys at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Stacy and Melanie. Next, from the National Association of Assistant U.S. Attorneys, or NASA, we have Vice President for Policy, Adam Hanna. Adam is currently in AUSA in Illinois. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Natalia. To get us started with our show, I want to give each of our guests an opportunity to tell us a little bit about themselves and their organization. So let's start with NASA, the National Association of Assisting U.S. Attorneys. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about the organization and the individuals you represent? Sure. So NASA was formed uh, actually 30 years ago this year by a group of assistant U.S. attorneys who were interested in improving the workplace and uh, and really making uh, our jobs, uh, you know, better and, and giving AUSAs a voice at the Department of Justice. So we have, over the years, worked on pay issues. We've worked on uh, telework, uh, professionalism issues throughout um, the U.S. attorney community. And, and we've just been really proud to, to get to speak up for, for AUSAs on, on so many of these uh, important issues. In recent years, we've been really focused on um, you know, telework and pay in particular, because those are the, the things that we hear about from our members so much. So um, really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to to join the show today on behalf of uh, NASA. And um, yeah, it just just as a disclaimer, you know, although I am an AUSA, I'm, I'm here today in my in my personal capacity and, and in my capacity as a as an officer of NASA. And nothing that I uh, say is, is, of course, uh, said on behalf of the Department of Justice. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate the overview. And now I want to give the DOJ Gender Equality Network an opportunity to do the same. Stacey or Melanie, can one of you tell us a little bit about the organization? Sure. And I, I really, we're very grateful uh, that you're having us in the program today. 
Um, and like Adam, uh, I want to note at the outset that I'm speaking in my personal capacity and as the DOJ Gen President and in no way on behalf of the Justice Department. So DOJ Gen is an employee-run organization with 1,150 members who are across DOJ and across the country. Uh, we formed to advocate for gender equality and equity uh, at the department, and we've been around since 2016. So. Um, to advocate for gender equity and equality, we've we've done uh, quite a bit. We've worked to eradicate pay inequities that result from DOJ's hiring practices, uh, convince leadership to address the department's systemic sexual misconduct problem, push for enhanced diversity and inclusion efforts, uh, and lobby Congress to pa pass paid family leave legislation. Um, if you want to read more about us, you can at www.dojgen.org. Thank you so much. And, you know, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with kind of the structure of DOJ and how the organization works, Adam, can you tell me a little bit about kind of the difference between AUSAs in our 94 U.S. attorney offices and um, what may be considered like the main justice employees? Yeah, Natalia. So, so AUSAs are situated out in, you know, I guess, what you traditionally call out in the field, out across the country in these in these U.S. attorneys' offices that sit, um, you know, all over the place. And our AUSAs are in small towns and big cities. But what we all do the same is that we are the government's advocates, uh, primarily in in district courts and and bankruptcy courts around the country. So. AUSAs, I think, as compared to our trial attorney colleagues in D.C., um, you know, AUSAs are probably more generalist lawyers, generalist litigators than than the folks who work in the um, litigating divisions in D.C. Uh, you know, AUSAs might in one day work on you know, a bankruptcy case and a personal injury case and maybe a, an asset forfeiture case, um, whereas I think our colleagues at Maine Justice tend to have the opportunity to be more specialized in an area of law. And we certainly respect, um, you know, the trial attorneys for that specialization. A lot of times we, you know, we'll call up if we have questions about a, a narrow issue of law, we'll, we'll call up a DOJ trial attorney and say, hey, you know, what do I need to know about this question or this issue? And likewise, when the DOJ trial attorneys come out to the districts to, to litigate these more specialized matters, a lot of times they'll call up AUSAs and say, hey, you know, what can you tell me about the venue, about this judge, about the local practices and procedures? So we're colleagues, we work together, um, we are all interested in advancing the interests of justice and, and acting in the best uh, interest of, uh, of the federal government and, and in effect the citizens of this country. So uh, we work alongside, but on, on sometimes different types of cases. Uh, we, as AUSAs, tend to envy those folks at Maine Justice because they're on a better pay system. They, they get the benefit of being on the, the general schedule, where, whereas those of us in AUSA roles are on this antiquated and, and poorly designed system known as the administratively determined pay system. So those are some of the similarities and, and differences. Again, we're, we're all on the same team. I know AUSAs have, have great respect for, uh, for trial attorneys and, and what they do, and it's always a, a great uh, opportunity we, we have to, to work with the lawyers in D.C. And, and hear what's going on up there. 
Thanks, Adam. That's really helpful. You talked a little bit about how NASA was created 30 years ago with a lot of these issues in mind. Um, Stacy and Melanie, you guys are the co-founders of DOJ Gen, and it is a much more recent organization. Can you just give us some little bit of background on, you know, why you started the organization and what kind of that experience was like? This is Melanie krebs Pilati. We did start uh, back in 2016. And the reason for that is that we realized that there was no employee organization uh, looking to address gender equality issues. Uh, there were many other types of employee resource groups, but none focusing on gender equality. So we had a first meeting to gauge interest and really were just amazed by the enthusiasm. So our group has grown uh, extremely quickly and you know, as we've grown, uh, we've reached out more to the law enforcement components. Uh, we're hearing about a w wide range of, of concerns, and we really are, are open to, to everybody and, and do look to address a, a wide range of, of gender equality issues. That's awesome. Yeah, on the show before, we've had on um, women in federal law enforcement, as well as some organizations in the national security arena focused on gender equity. And, the, you know, it's really interesting to see how some of these problems have creeped up across the federal government, across the law enforcement community, and how different organizations as a response have popped up in order to help address them, help elevate these issues, and provide a voice for diverse persons. It's really exciting to have everyone on here. This first segment has provided us a lot of interesting context about your organizations, and I'm excited to move into the second segment where we're going to look at the reentry plans that the Department of Justice has established and how employees are reacting to some of these plans. So you guys are listening to Federal News Network, and we will be right back after a short break. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I am here with DOJ Gen co-founders Stacy Young and Melanie Krebs Pilati and NASA Vice President Adam Hanna. We are discussing the DOJ's re-entry plans uh, in this kind of post-pandemic new normal that the agency is experiencing. And I want to focus this segment on what employees are seeing on the ground and how they're reacting to it. So I know that both DOJ Gen and NASA did surveys recently where they got some feedback from employees about what their offices and components are working on. And I think it would be helpful to hear a little bit about what you guys are seeing on the ground. So DOJ Gen, I will start with you, Melanie and Stacy. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing? So DOJ was at a maximum telework posture for uh, over two years because of the pandemic. Many federal agencies um, took the same approach. That ended on May 1st. So what happened on May 1st was that DOJ's, I believe it's 37 different components, had to come up with their own return to work policies. And they had to determine on their own what flexible work options they were going to offer their employees. 
So what happened, and this is what we expected, was that we now have a patchwork system throughout the department. Because individual components, components and also offices were given broad discretion to decide for themselves what kind of flexible work options they were going to offer, we see policies all over the place. Some policies are very generous when it comes to uh, flexible work options, some are not generous. Um, and we see many offices and components where employees are similarly situated who have starkly different options when it comes to flexibilities. Um, so that's really what we're seeing now. Um, and DOJ Gen collected data from our members and others about what uh, their components policies are. We put that data in a chart to really help illustrate how disparate these policies really are. And, and it really shows that giving components completely broad, very broad discretion means that you're not going to have an equitable system and that affects retention, recruitment, equity, and just general employee uh, contentness. So that's, that's where we are at the OJ. And Adam, NASA had similar findings um, in a survey you guys conducted earlier this year. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, so Natalia, we have been interested in the telework issue uh, for a long time, long before the pandemic. Uh, you know, telework was was something that AUSAs cared a lot about. And, and we saw pre-pandemic that there was just wide uh, uh, disparities in telework availability from office to office and often without any really good reason for those differences. So when the pandemic started and, and everybody went to this max telework posture, uh, I, I think AUSAs found that they were very well equipped technologically and in terms of, of training uh, to, to do their jobs from home pretty seamlessly. We had phone systems that worked really well over the computers and you know, we have the ability to continue to file things in court, to appear in court remotely via via Zoom or Cisco WebEx. And uh, I think AUSAs proved themselves um, in that early period that, that we are capable of, of doing our jobs um, from, from home or from other locations. And so at the various times during the pandemic, when we thought that it was perhaps ending, we've had a couple of false starts there, as, as you all know, uh, you know, NASA started to take a hard look at what we wanted the, the telework landscape to look like uh, in the future. And uh, as AUSAs, we recognize that there are some benefits to being in the office. You know, AUSAs are trying a lot of cases in front of federal juries. Uh, that's what we are. We're, we're the federal government's frontline litigators in district court. And when you're trying cases, you know, you need to be in the office with your colleagues sometimes. You need to be able to kick ideas around. You need to, to be able to just walk down the hall and 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 talk to your, your coworkers about your cases. So we, we recognize the importance in this job of, of there being an in-person component. Uh, but we also recognize that this pandemic has has shown us that folks can do their jobs from home effectively. And we've we've seen just dramatic improvements in terms of job satisfaction when when you know, you feel like as a parent in an AUSA, you know, you can get your child on the bus in the morning. You can, you know, work from home if you have a sick child or if you have a family member who needs care. Um, you know, and that new flexibility that a lot of AUSAs never had before. A lot of AUSAs had never experienced telework before the pandemic. Um, I think we just felt there was was no going back. So after we we studied the issue and talked to AUSAs across the country, you know, some were in favor of full remote work, you know, never going to the office. Uh, others 
thought you know, more traditional and thought people ought to be in the office more often. But where we landed was that we sought a uniform policy from the executive office for U.S. attorneys that would permit all AUSAs to work from home at least two days a week. And we made that request to the department. We made that request to um, the executive office for U.S. attorneys, known as EOUSA. Um, but unfortunately, as the pandemic ended, you know, as, as Stacy mentioned, and, and we retreated from the max telework posture, what we saw was not a uniform policy, but it was a patchwork across 94 offices where, you know, down to the occasionally, sometimes down to the division level, telework was going to be different for different people. We've seen some places that allow five days a week telework. We've seen some offices that have reverted to no telework. And um, you can certainly see the the morale problems that are starting to crop up in those offices that have greatly restricted telework. So what we found in our survey was that a little over half um, or 52% of offices, you know, went with NASA's position that, that at least two days of telework per week ought to be permitted. And the other 48% are at something less than that. Uh, and that's what we have, have released to our membership and just recently, um, you know, published to the, to the press and to DOJ. Thank you so much. I definitely am getting a sense from both organizations that there is frustration with the fact that similarly situated employees are experiencing very different policies. You know, as Adam mentioned, it can go down even as low to the division. Um, I, I noticed in your survey findings, Adam, that there is also differences in like the types of attorneys. So a criminal AUSA may be treated differently than a civil AUSA or an appellate level versus a trial level. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the extent that you're seeing that? And I'm curious Stacy and Melanie, if you're also seeing situations where in a single office, depending on what type of attorney you are, the access to flexibility is differing. We are, you know, NASA is seeing, I would say we, we see mostly the differences are handled at an office level. I, I think I'm hearing a lot that, you know, it's a uniform office policy, which, you know, is, is good. But I do think in some offices, it's been delegated to supervisors and you know, the thinking is that criminal AUSAs perhaps need to be in person more often because they're running off to court or grand jury on a regular basis and that maybe civil AUSAs are, uh, you know, better suited to telework. But ultimately, I, I think we've got to treat, you know, our federal prosecutors and, and, and line civil attorneys as, as grownups who are capable of looking at their schedule and saying, okay, well, I have to be in court on this day, so I'm not going to telework that particular day. And I, and I know it's the same for, for, for uh, trial attorneys. Um, Stacey, what, what are you seeing in terms of uh, uh, differences between divisions in your members? Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. There are significant differences between different divisions of different types of attorneys. For example, in the antitrust division and tax division, uh, most attorneys need to work in the office four days per pay period. Whereas in the civil division and the civil rights division, attorneys have to work uh, two days in the office. In the criminal division, in office work is required six days per pay period. In the office of justice programs, employees can work full time telework if they want. So we are seeing uh, very real differences. Um, and you know, for, for in most cases, a, a lawyer in the civil division. And a lawyer in the, in the antitrust division are not really going to have very different needs in terms of whether they need to be physically in the office. Um, so those types of differences, I think, um, 
have already resulted in people looking to leave their division, either to go to another division, another part of the Justice Department, or another agency or the private sector. Um, so, you know, DOJ Jen always says that consistency begets equity. And, uh, you know, when, when we have these kind of differences without compelling reasons for them, we're going to see people leave and we're going to see people uh, reluctant to join these components. And, you know, I, as, a, as an AUSA, I worry about our ability to continue to attract and retain the best lawyers. You know, this is a competitive business and we're up against really great lawyers from really great private firms. And I, I am very worried for the department that over time, our ability to, to just, you know, continue to hire and continue to keep equally great lawyers is going to be damaged if we can't compete with the private sector in terms of, um, you know, work-life balance and flexibility issues. And I think it's also, um, you know, there are feelings of distrust. Adam talked about making sure that employees are recognized that they're adults and they can make these decisions on their own. Can you guys speak a little bit of how employees are reacting in terms of attitudes that maybe their supervisors don't trust them or maybe their supervisors don't have confidence in them to do this work remotely, even though they've been doing it for much of the last two years? Are, are you guys hearing those sentiments from employees? Well, I, I want to say that there are some great supervisors in the Justice Department who who, who trust their um, attorneys to do a good job and know that that they're going to follow the telework rules and do their jobs at an extremely high level, regardless of where they're working from. So uh, we have a lot of great supervisors and managers who have done a you know wonderful job through this pandemic. But I think there are some who harbor uh, you know outdated views of telework and believe that you know just believe that if they can't walk down the hall and see somebody working that somehow they're not working or that you know the people are going to be less productive um, i think managing teleworkers is a different management skill and i think managers and supervisors are going to have to gain those skills in order to be effective at it but there absolutely is a feeling of distrust when you've teleworked for two years and done your job effectively and and just worked your uh your, your tail off on behalf of the government you know to then have telework just yanked back feels feels pretty terrible you know I think that we're we're hearing from a lot of people across the country who feel that um, it, it's almost an insult to them and, and the, their integrity that that they can't be trusted with more telework. Yeah, Adam's absolutely right. I think the Justice Department um, throughout was incredibly productive during the pandemic, and it was you know uh, we had an involuntary trial period of of how workplace flexibility works out, and I think it worked out brilliantly. Um, and when you, like Adam said, when you pull that back, you, you're going to anger a lot of employees. And DOJ Jen is certainly mindful that a lot of people want to work in the office and there are benefits to being in the office, but there are also benefits to not being in the office. And what we think uh, employees should be afforded is the flexibility to do what they want, to do what, what's best for them and their families. Um, and, and we are very concerned about the inequities that result from inconsistent policies and also rigid policies. Um, and we're, we're, I should say we're also mindful of the fact that certain components are simply not going to be able to allow their employees to telework all the time or work remotely. I mean, we see this in certain components where they work with classified information or where you have a Bureau of Prison Guards who obviously need to be at a prison. 
But uh, 500 of our members a few months ago signed on to uh, one of 15 letters to different department components um, asking for certain flexibilities. And those letters were tailored for each component's specific mission related needs. So uh, we certainly recognize that, that different components are different, but we do think that the vast majority of employees at DOJ should be able to take advantage of an array of, of flexible work options. Thank you so much, Stacy and Adam, for that. It's really interesting to hear how these different components are handling it. And I, you know, to Adam's point, I think there are a lot of great supervisors. You know, he gave the statistic about 52% of offices, you know, offering more telework flexibility. It's really those offices that are choosing to be stricter or maybe the supervisors who don't acknowledge the benefits of telework that are creating this inconsistency and that's why your organizations are working so hard for something a little bit more uniform, something a little bit more baseline. In the next segment, we're going to talk about telework as a real tool for recruitment and retention. Stacy mentioned how these inconsistencies breed inequities. And I really want to talk more about that and not just what offices have done, but really the perspective about what offices should be doing in order to rectify some of these problems that you guys have seen emerge in the absence of telework flexibility. So we're going to stop here for our second break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches, judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show with the DOJ Gender Equality Network President and Vice President Stacey Young and Melanie Krebs Pilati, and NASA Vice President Adam Hanna. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the impact of telework on things like recruitment, retention, employee productivity, and all of that. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, as as Stacy really mentioned at the end of the last segment, the pandemic revealed a lot of interest in telework. It revealed a lot of productivity that had occurred because of telework. Um, and now as agencies are adopting these new postures, some of them, it almost seems, are trying to turn back the clock uh, to the pre-pandemic time when telework wasn't as offered. So I want to start with DOJ Jen. You guys did some survey analysis pre-pandemic, so ahead of the curve on this issue, about interest in telework. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about what you discovered there? 
Sure. This was a survey that we did in about 2017, 2018, uh, and we surveyed about 700 employees across the Department of Justice. And the feedback that we got uh, was really pretty consistent, and that is that employees really value workplace flexibility. Uh, many of us, particularly those in cities such as Washington, D.C. or New York, we're facing grueling commutes, uh, oftentimes two hours or more each day that really drained away from productivity. So people, employees valued workplace flexibility, they valued telework when it was available, and components that did offer telework, uh, did make workplace flexibilities available, uh, those, uh, did do uh, those were real selling points for uh, recruitment. Thank you, Melanie. That's really interesting. I think especially, you know, I know that was um, in 2017, but today with soaring gas prices, with a lot of those concerns, I'm sure those issues are even more salient and even more relevant for employees. NASA also did a survey. This one was in 2021, so right at the end of the kind of pandemic, height of the pandemic era, where you looked at employee reactions to telework. And I know there was one interesting statistic that some 95% of AUSAs reported that they felt they were able to do their job successfully during the pandemic in that telework posture. Adam, can you tell us a little bit more about what you learned from that survey about these attitudes toward telework? Sure. So this was our first look at um, telework's impact on the mission um, of U.S. attorneys' offices. And I think that the statistics showed that, that USAOs were really in a good posture to make this quick pivot, pivot to telework. Work. Um, and I, I think that's a credit to the department's planning and continu continuity of operations planning, such that when it became apparent that we were going to a telework um, situation, everything was in place and the technology was there, the hardware was there, the software was there, that, that we could make this change and we could continue to focus on the mission of the department um, really without missing a beat. And we'd never had an opportunity. I mean, this was an experiment in telework because, again, it, telework was widely unavailable in U.S. attorneys' offices prior to the pandemic. Even though the software was there, uh, the technology was there, uh, it just wasn't widely utilized. I think because U.S. attorneys' offices tend to be a traditional workplace and uh, are, are sort of like old law firms in a way. So, although the you know the infrastructure was there, we hadn't used it, but it became very quickly apparent that we could continue to focus on the mission. We were still you know, on the criminal side. We were still uh, indicting a lot of uh, suspected criminals. We were still bringing cases in the civil world. Our civil suits were, were moving forward just as they had before. We, we quickly pivoted to the Zoom deposition and um, to conducting hearings from our spare bedrooms and, and AUSAs we're able to make that switch really um, successfully. So I think our membership survey in 2021 emphasized that and emphasized that there was a strong interest in continuing to have telework available. It's not without its downsides, you know, telework isn't perfect. And again, NASA doesn't think that fully remote is really the way that U.S. attorney's offices should go. But, but I think AUSAs want that 
uh, want that flexibility. And we think that it really enhances the mission because it allows us to you know, recruit and retain the best people. And it allows us to recruit and retain the best people from all walks of life. Um, you know, one of the things that sort of surprised me that I hadn't given much thought to in this 2021 survey is, you know, sort of the, the different um, expectations on women and men in terms of how you're supposed to appear for work. And we had one AUSA from Arkansas comment that she felt that she was able to actually work more because she didn't have to spend the time in the morning uh, getting ready and, you know, coming in in an appearance that met her supervisor's expectations for how women are supposed to appear in the, in the workplace. You know, men, you uh, toss on a pair of khakis and a nice Oxford shirt and you're good to go. And it, I guess I just hadn't realized that, that there are some really disparate expectations for women in a, in a professional workplace like this. And in this one particular AUSA felt like she was able to do her job even better because she could, you know, just get to work in the morning and not uh, spend so much time commuting and, and getting ready to, to get in the office. And I'm sure, um, you know, DOJ GEN members uh, have expressed similar experiences. Yeah, Stacey, Melanie, anything to add on that point specifically about like the diversity inclusivity benefits that we see from telework? Yeah, well, um, you know, the, the reality is that women still oftentimes do the majority of, of child rearing and care caregiving generally. And for many of them, working from home makes that easier. For some women, though, they prefer to go to the office, perhaps to get away from everything that being at home means. Um, but that's why we advocate for flexibility. Uh, you know, whatever we believe that as much as possible, whatever works for employees should be permitted um, if it doesn't interfere with with an office's um, mission related work. You know, a, a recent Harris poll of professional workers found that most women and people of color uh, prefer working from home. And this is something that we've seen reflected in think pieces, in newspaper articles, uh, on TV, on the radio for the last two plus years. Um, and certainly working from home, uh, we know can also be uh, easier and preferable for people who are physically disabled or neurodiverse. So, you know, all of these issues really, um, really feed into the whole question of, of equity. Um, and providing flexibilities, uh, as I mentioned before, really promotes equity. It really promotes the, the principles and the priorities that this particular administration has outlined and has pushed for in executive orders and, and, and through other methods. And, you know, we, we think that, you know, it, it is especially beneficial for, for many marginalized communities and, and for that and many other reasons. Um, we hope to see uh, more consistency and, and more flexibilities offered uh, going forward. Yeah, that's a great point, particularly on individuals uh, with disabilities. I was reading the American Bar Association has found that remote work is particularly important for that community. And, you know, other organizations have similarly urged caution um, as law firms, DOJ components begin their reentry plans to be conscious of how different communities have been able to be more productive and be more successful in a telework posture. And as you guys highlighted, a big part of this is flexibility. You know, having a uniform baseline policy of two days of work of telework does not mean that someone has to work from home 
uh, you know, however many days, two days a week, they, they can come into the office, particularly for people who feel that it is most beneficial. They still have that opportunity. It's about providing flexibility for those who need or want that flexibility. You both talked a lot about recruitment and retention and how telework enhances those efforts. Um, I, I'm interested in this issue because it seems that not only is the DOJ competing with the private sector, but there's also competition among DOJ components. Um, Adam, you've talked a little bit about, you know, U.S. attorney offices compared to Maine justice and, and some issues that you have seen, you know, in telework and in other issues with kind of people leaving U.S. attorney offices that have these strict um, these strict policies and moving towards maybe DOJ components that are a little bit more flexible. Can you speak a little bit to how telework plays into those challenges, both against the private sector and other DOJ components? Sure. You know, especially in the U.S. attorney office community, we are already at a disadvantage um, as compared to other parts of the federal workforce because of our pay system. It's a pay system that we think has a lot of problems and is uh, really places AUSAs at a pay disadvantage compared to really any other place in the federal government and especially within within the Department of Justice. So there are a lot of people who are willing to make that sacrifice on on pay to get, you know, get the opportunity to be an AUSA and to, to, to be a part of the federal law enforcement community. But my worry has always been that when we stack up these disadvantages and tell people, you know, not only are you going to take a big pay cut to come to a U.S. attorney's office, uh, but you're also going to have to be in the office five days a week. You're going to have to wear a suit and tie. I think when people add up those disadvantages, maybe there's some trade-offs they're willing to make. Maybe they're willing to, to, to work for a little less money, you know, to have the opportunity to do meaningful work and, and protect the public. But are they willing, you know, to, to take the trade-off on pay, plus the trade-off on telework, plus the trade-off on maybe a more formal dress code and all these things that, uh, you know, that I, that I think U.S. attorney's offices need to work on a little bit. Uh, as, as sort of an elder millennial myself, I think that the workplace is not designed to um, to attract my generation. I think that it's designed for an older workforce. And I really worry, I mean, it, it keeps me up at night uh, that, that over time, U.S. attorney's offices are just going to be at such a competitive disadvantage. And that's not to say that we won't still be able to hire people. I mean, there are still ample applications for jobs uh, anytime they open up in U.S. attorney's offices. But my concern is, can we continue to bring in the top-tier talent? Because the top-tier talent is, is what we're up against on the other side. Um, you know, can we continue to keep people from leaving to go to other departments, um, you know, going to general counsel offices at USDA or at HHS or other places? Can we continue to keep those really good lawyers happy? Um, and with a restrictive telework environment, I don't think we can. Uh, it, it's a real concern, you know, in terms of our ability to successfully complete the mission uh, that, that worries me a lot. And as you highlighted, it's not just about recruitment, but it's also about retention, keeping those employees that come and so that they can really develop that expertise to be able to, you know, be seasoned talent and then help the next generation. Melanie, Stacy, can you guys speak a little bit to the kind of recruitment retention issues that you were seeing? I, I first want to start by making a, a different point, and that is, you know, that the Department of Justice is 
it's a it's a huge organization. There are over 110,000 know, DOJ employees and, and contractors. Uh, and you know, as we've discussed previously in the show, uh, components are granted uh, a lot of flexibility in determining workplace you know, policies such as telework. Um, and I think in the past, uh, just the sheer size of, of the department and the differences in the components uh, allowed for for offices or components to, to really hide the inconsistencies. Uh, oftentimes, employees in the civil division didn't know about the workplace flexibilities of the telework in antitrust division or in civil rights. Uh, we were very, very siloed. And I think that that era, I think it has, is, you know, has largely come to an end. You know, I think what DOJ Gen uh, has brought to the table is our commitment, our emphasis on transparency so that we understand what offices and components across the DOJ are doing. And this transparency, this information sharing allows us to see where, which offices, which components are less competitive. And I think uh, not only are we doing this in the department, I think we are seeing more and more of this from the private sector. So yes, in terms of future recruitment, uh, we are learning, you know, we are increasing uh, transparency in the department, at least we're, we're, we're striving to do that. Uh, and components, offices that lag behind, they will do worse in terms of recruitment, retention, not only within DOJ, but also certainly with the private sector. Thank you, Melanie. That's, that's very interesting. And I think you, you made some really great points there about you know, the, the new era of work where people are more interconnected. It's not so much of a silo. And so you're hearing about these inconsistencies more. You're learning about them. And it's changing your approach to work when you hear that you're being offered no telework and, and someone, a very similarly situated employee doing similar work, um, has much more access. And there are feelings there of inequity that, that caused people to react accordingly. Um, I thought one interesting statistic before we move into our last segment, Bloomberg Law recently did an assessment of the 100 largest uh, private sector law firms in the country and found that three quarters of them were offering significant access to telework. And it's statistics like that that you know people in the legal community hear about, and it does make them reconsider whether or not they want to join the federal workforce and whether or not they, they want to stay in the federal workforce. And there's a motivation for public service, but we can't over rely on that motivation for public service. In our final segment of the show, we're going to discuss more of these recruitment and retention challenges and how they play into kind of a larger conversation about how DOJ can improve their workforce posture. We have to stop here, though, for our final break. When we return, we'll wrap up this discussion. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are entering the last segment of the show. Let's dive right in. 
One of the things we've been talking about through this entire conversation is the advocacy that your organizations do around issues like telework. Adam mentioned that NASA has written letters to EOUSA, this kind of advocating for a baseline of two days a week of telework. Stacey, Melanie, can you tell me about some of the kind of advocacy actions you guys have done and what you're really proposing? So we wrote a letter to the Justice Management Division uh, months ago, and JMD is is the component of DOJ that really um, is kind of the administration headquarters. Um, so and and contains HR and and other uh, similar types of offices. So we asked for a number of kind of baseline uh, requirements that all components should follow. And if, if they can't follow them, then, you know, we, we asked that they explain why they can't. And certainly there are going to be situations where that is the case. But uh, we, we asked for really more oversight and for general kind of uh, guardrails for components creating their return to work plans. So we asked uh, that all components require uh, supervisors and non-supervisors to telework at least three days a week develop guidelines and training for supervisors to ensure that teleworkers aren't disadvantaged, ensure that telework policies aren't, don't require excessive reporting from staff, permit distant telework for eligible individuals for at least limited periods of time, uh, allow flexible work, other flexible work options uh, like MaxiFlex and Glide and compressed hours, part-time schedules, uh, and explore the idea of hiring um, only contract workers from companies that provide flexible work options for their employees. So these are some of the, the requests we made to the Justice Department, um, and we're going to continue uh, trying to uh, advocate that the, the department um, implement some of those recommendations. In addition to our engagement uh, with the leadership in the department, we've also uh, really tried to give the data, provide the data to our membership. So, and we've worked really hard to get groups of employees together. So for example, if there are groups in national security division that are concerned about their back to work, uh, back to office policies, uh, we wanted to let, you know, let them know what basically the, the best policies that might be offered in a different component, uh, make that data available, make it transparent. Uh, so that employees in particular offices could then you know, advocate for themselves. And I think that we've done that uh, really successfully. Yeah, yeah we know that employees have used that that information that we crowdsourced and gathered. Um, and it's really kind of a, a great example of how knowledge can be power. So that's that's one of the um, important roles we, we try to fill. You know, I think it's great, uh, Stacey, Melanie, that, that you included contractors in your advocacy, because I feel like sometimes the the contractor workforce at DOJ is sort of an underclass that that doesn't have anybody speaking up for them. And uh, you know, the idea to work, only work with contractors that offer flexible work to their employees is really a great point that uh, we we haven't spoken out on yet. But I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. And I noticed, Stacey, Melanie, you also talked about beyond just telework, ensuring that there is flexibility in work schedules, ensuring that employees are aware of, you know, what's being offered elsewhere so that they can better advocate for themselves. That's very, that's incredible. And I know NASA, you guys also have a similar interest in ensuring flexibility beyond telework in terms of scheduling. Can you speak about that, Adam? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I think there's some misunderstanding out there about what telework means. And um, telework is about 
where you work, not when you work. So if you're on telework, you are still expected to keep a consistent schedule, whether that's eight to five, seven to four, whatever it might be. But this pandemic environment, I think, has has shown people that uh, it's just as important to have some flexibility in when you work. And uh, so these flexible work schedules that many department components offer really ought to be part of this discussion because we know that some people do their best work after midnight. Some people do their best work at four in the morning. And again, what we ought to be encouraging is, is allowing every employee to choose how to do their very best work. And so to the extent that flexible workout options are uh, on the table, I think NASA is, is, is in favor of expanding those and, and expanding knowledge about flexible work options. I think it's one of those things that not a lot of people know about. Uh, quite frankly, probably during the pandemic, there was a lot of flexible work going on that was unsanctioned because folks were, you know, completing family care responsibilities and doing a lot of other things while they were also trying to to put in their, you know, their honest uh, eight hours of work for the department. So I, I think that, you know, flexible work scheduling needs to be part of this discussion as well. That's a great point. Thank you, Adam. And I know that you guys, as long as, as well as DOJ Gen, have really tried to push the conversation, even outside of just these kind of telework, remote work, work flexibility issues, on other things that are impacting the retention, productivity, and recruitment of DOJ attorneys. I want to talk uh, for a little bit right here at the end of the show. Can you guys tell us about some of the other issues impacting the future of federal work? Adam, a few times you've mentioned the kind of pay inequities that uh, AUSAs face because they are part of this administratively determined pay schedule. Can you just do a quick minute um, explaining that issue? And then I would love to hear from Stacey and Melanie about kind of the pay-related issues that you guys are working on. Sure. So NASA has long been uh, advocating for either major changes to the way that AUSAs are paid. Unlike most government employees, we're not on the general schedule. We're on an administratively determined pay system, which is, is purportedly a performance-based pay system. But but ultimately, what it what it is transformed into is a pay system that that really only pays AUSAs uh, what's left over after everything is after all the other bills are paid. And that has put AUSAs at a disadvantage of up to thirty to forty thousand dollars a year, compared to folks with similar experience who work in the litigating divisions. And again, we have great respect for our trial attorney colleagues, uh, but we feel that as AUSAs, what we do is is equally valuable. Uh, we're you know in the courts trying cases all the time, working at a at an equal level, and we think that the merit system principle of equal pay for equal work ought to apply and uh, come in and, and end the AD pay system once and for all. Thanks, Adam. That's that's a really interesting point. Um, and I know that one that you guys have really advocated on for a long time. Melanie and Stacey, can you tell me about some of the pay related issues that your membership face? Sure, so um, DOJ Gen works on a number of uh, pay equity issues. The main one we have worked on over the last few years is trying to get DOJ to stop using past salary as a criterion when hiring or setting pay at DOJ. Uh, using past salary as 21 states now, and I think 20 municipalities have realized, is that it, it, using past pay really has a disproportionately harmful effect on women and people of color. 
Uh, we know that from countless studies, and we know that from uh, studies that have done on the, the states and the muni municipalities that have already passed salary history bans. Um, so there's been some progress uh, recently in the administration on, uh, on this issue. In March, uh, President Biden issued an executive order saying that OPM anticipates issuing a regulation that will address the use of salary history in hiring and pay setting. Um, but unfortunately, we're concerned that that uh, regulation won't be enough. Um, we want banned not only salary history inquiries, but the consideration of salary history at all. Um, if if uh, prospective employees are still allowed to provide their past salary and use it during negotiations, that is still going to lead to, to inequities. And, and we're afraid that that omission could really swallow the rule. So we are advocating uh, to OPM that any salary history ban should ban not only the solicitation of salary history, but the consideration of it. And we're also advocating that DOJ move before a regulation is promulgated. That, pro that regulatory period can be long. Uh, and we think that there's absolutely no reason for DOJ to wait around until it's done. We think it should move on this now. Um, and we think that moving on it now will it is consistent with uh, the administration's stated priorities um, in their executive orders. And I'll also, if I can, quickly mention a few other issues that DOJ Gen is working on. Um, just yesterday, we sent a letter to administration leaders asking that the administration provide federal employees with administrative leave if they need to cross state lines to obtain an abortion. Um, this may soon become a very serious issue in 21 states, where uh, 26 states, where many hundreds of thousands of federal employees work. Um, so this is providing administrative leave is something the administration has done for employees to get uh, COVID vaccines, and we think it can do so just as easily uh, for employees and their uh, who need to. Uh, receive abortions in other states or help their family members do so. And we've done a whole lot of work on uh, sexual misconduct, trying to improve uh, policies at DOJ. We could talk, we could dedicate a whole uh, program to that particular issue. Um, and we, we're also uh, working to try to lobby Congress to pay to pass comprehensive paid family leave for federal workers. Although uh, paid family leave uh, hasn't gone anywhere yet in the Build Back Better uh, plan. Um, there is a discrete bill that would provide 12 weeks of comprehensive paid family leave to federal employees to take care of themselves, the child, a parent, a spouse, uh, if they become sick. Um, right now, FMLA is unpaid, and we want to see that leave uh, paid for federal employees. We think this is an absolute matter of uh, gender equity and equality, and one that uh, one where the, the United States really lags behind other um, uh, most other Western countries. Thank you, Stacey, for those really interesting um, and relevant topics that you guys are working on. Can you let us know, as we just wrap up this show, where people can go to learn more about the work being done at DOJ Gen? Yeah, so you can visit our website, which is www.dojgen.org. Um, we are on Twitter at, at DOJ Gen. We are uh, now on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, that's our, our our website was recently revamped, so it has a lot of uh, information about what we've done in the past, recommend, recommendations we are making to uh, DOJ, the administration, um, and other important resources for DOJ employees. So uh, please visit and see what uh, what we're all about.
Awesome. And Adam, can you let us know where people can learn more about NASA? Absolutely. Uh, we're at NAAUSA.org. And uh, from that website, you can read up on our recent advocacy. And uh, if you're an AUSA, join our association. Great. That is all the time we have for our show today. I just want to thank DOJ Gen President Stacey Young, Vice President Melanie krebs Pilati, and NASA Vice President Adam Hanna for joining me today. Thank all of you for listening. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Brunsford, and Roth. We will see you in two weeks. Have a great weekend, everyone.